morning. I encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and on your way there, I want you to start thinking about some goals that you have in your life. I'm sure we have many goals, probably a lot that we don't even think of that we actually have, but they're there. Um, I have one goal in, in my life. It's the to not be a lazy bum. And so that's why I get out of bed. That's really, I have lots of goals for why I get out of bed in the morning. Otherwise, I would not. I would love to just stay in bed all day, and especially when it's cold and rainy out, you know, and just stay under the covers. It's so glorious. But the goals of not being a lazy bum, that gets me out of bed. Uh, the goal of hanging out with my family, that gets me out of bed. Of uh, coming into work, of uh, being productive, being helpful with other people. There's, there's a variety of goals that I have that just get me out of bed in the morning. Not to mention the variety of goals that I have throughout the day. Um, different scenarios of being here at church, uh, being at home, being on vacation, being at camp. All the different places I am. There's always so many goals that I have. Some I don't even think about, but they're there. It's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. In Philippians 3... Uh, I have this little section, section header, I don't know if you have that in your Bible, that says straining toward the goal. Without reading ahead, don't read ahead quite yet, what do you think the goal is? Let's see, we're not going to take a test at the end to see if you're right or wrong, but what do you think the goal is that he's going to talk about in this passage? What is God's goal for us? The harder question that I want you to ask of yourself is what he's going to share about what God's goal is for my life, do I have that same goal? Is my goal for my life going to match up with what God says here? So this might be a little introspective in, on the first part, on the beginning and now, to figure out, am I going to have this same goal? And if I don't, am I willing to change to make this goal mine? But before we get into the passage, let's recap a little bit. So I think it was back in January when we left off in Philippians chapter 3. Paul was talking about his old desires that he had. He desired to be perfect. He desired to earn his own salvation by what he could do, his own self-righteousness. And because of those desires that he had in verses 1 through 6, it led him to do certain things. That's why he was a persecutor of the church. That's why he tried to be as blameless as he could under the law. And so his desires to be perfect and achieve righteousness, achieve salvation on his own, it led him to pursue certain things in his life. Then he moves on to verses 10 and 11. But without, we have to remind ourselves, without verse 7 and verse 8, we might not understand how he got to these desires. He had to count his old desires, his old pursuits as loss, as rubbish, in order to gain Christ. And now that he has gained Christ, he now has these new desires that are in place of his old ones. That I may know him, verse 10, in the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We're going to spend time this evening a little bit looking at how our desires lead us to do certain things. How can we change our desires? How can we have these new desires to lead us to what we're talking about in verses 12 through 16 of straining towards the goal? 
And so we see their desire, his desires have changed, and now this is why he's telling us what he's doing and what we need to be doing as well. Let's look at verse 12 together. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you how it challenges us as we're going to see this one thing I do. Help us to have the same goals for our life that you have for our life, that you desire from us. Give us that focus. Give us that desire to change and to grow so we can become more like Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 12 and 13, we see that we need to humbly assess our life. If we're going to chase after Christ's likeness, we need to humbly assess where we are. Before Paul came to know Christ, no one would have ever accused him of being a humble person. Nobody would have ever looked at Paul and said, there is humility on point. No, because he said, if you think you have room to boast, I have more. <laughs> He's like, bring it on. If, if you want to have a boast fest, I'm going to win every single time because I'm better than all of you. No one would ever accuse Paul of being humble. So what is this change? He says, not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already perfect. What changed in his life? It had to be Christ. Remember those things that he was boasting and bragging about when he gained Christ, he had to humble himself. He had to say, well, I'm not perfect. And in view of who Christ is, I am not a perfect person. He realized that even the pursuit of his perfection was actually adding to his own sin. He was becoming worse and worse by trying to be more and more perfect. So for him to realize and confess to them that he is not perfect would have been a huge blow to his life before Christ. But now in Christ, it's pretty easy for him to say these things. I don't know if you've heard the, the phrase, no one can stand at the foot of the cross. Have you heard that before? What it's saying is that when you come to know Christ, when you're standing before Jesus who died on the cross, you can't come and say, well, good job, Jesus, you did that. I'll also bring my good works with me. And with our powers combined, I can be saved. No one can stand before Christ that way. You can't come to know Christ and think that you have some good in you that's going to help you along the way. You have to totally humble yourself. You have to acknowledge that Christ is the all-sufficient Savior, and there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. You must acknowledge your sin. And so even after Paul places his trust in Christ, he humbles himself in that way, he still recognizes that that does not make him perfect. He hasn't already obtained this. He hasn't already been made perfect. I think we here at Calvary can recognize that there is no one here that is perfect, right? We can readily admit that. We don't want to start naming our sins in public, but we can admit that we are all sinners, right? There's no one in the pews who is holier than thou. There is no one preaching from this pulpit that is holier than thou. None of us have achieved. None of us have already obtained all of this. None of us have arrived. A lot of people, I think, 
believe that church is filled with people who are perfect or think they're perfect. I don't know if you've heard people say this before too. They say, I don't want to go to that church because they think they're perfect, but they're really just a bunch of hypocrites and backbiters and gossips and all of that and liars. To which I say, well, yeah, we are. (laughs) We, We are all those things, right? Every one of us have sin, right? Every one of us realizes that we are sinners when we're coming here. The reason why we come to church is not because we think that we are better than others. It's because we know we are worse, right? We're coming to God's word and say, please teach me. Help me to grow in godliness. I need help. We come to gather around with one another to encourage each other. I had a rough week. Please encourage me. Help me from God's word, how I can grow in my love for Christ. We acknowledge readily that we are sinners. Paul does this as well. He's in Romans 7. He says, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Wretched man that I am. First Timothy chapter one, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Even though we hold hot Paul in high regard, we have like Jesus here. And then we think of Paul like right there. He knows how bad of a sinner he really is. And we are somewhat in that same boat, right? We know we are sinners. We might not have think maybe some of these things figured out as well as maybe Paul did, but we are all sinners we all recognize that we need Christ. First John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. While it might not be difficult for us to admit that we're sinners, I think it is difficult to get people to admit their sin in light of a perfect Jesus. Someone that we have to be accountable to. When I was in high school, me and my best friend, we decided that we were going to hold each other accountable to reading the Bible. And so here's how it generally went. This is sad. I went up to him and I said, hey, did you read your Bible today? He's like, ah, no, I didn't. Did you? I'm like, no. Uh, Okay, let's do better next time. Then next day, hey, did you read your Bible? No. Did you? No. And then day after day, we would go through this process of just like, well, you didn't do it, so that doesn't make me feel as bad that I didn't do it. And it just went on and on. And then finally, we're just like, well, this is kind of pointless, isn't it? We're not really holding each other accountable. We knew that we were messing up and we weren't doing what we should be doing, but there wasn't much accountability there. But I believe that if we checked up on each other, in view of what he says here in the latter part of verse 12, I think it would have helped us to really hold each other accountable, for real. Because he couldn't say to me, when I didn't read my Bible, he couldn't say to me, well, you stop right there, mister, and you do it right now. I mean, we're best friends. Like, he doesn't have that authority over me to make sure I stop right there. But if we said this, he said, Christ Jesus has made me his own. If he said, are you a Christian? (laughs) Yeah. Has Christ made you his own? Are you now Christ's? Yeah. It's like, then why aren't you reading the Bible? You think that carries a lot more weight with it than just, did you do it? My standard being whether he did it or not. The standard of who I am in Christ. That holds a lot more weight and a lot more accountability with reading God's word or whatever it might be. Have you been redeemed by the blood of Christ? Have you placed your trust in him? Has Jesus made you his own? If you have, this changes the way that you should look at your sin. 
It's not just that we look around each other and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person, or I'm not as bad as them, so really I'm going to be okay. Are we humbly assessing our lives and I'm not perfect, and also I am Christ? That's how we need to look at the sin in our life. That's how we need to look at one another. It's not just that I'm not the perfect dad and neither are you, or I'm not the perfect friend and neither are you. It's that I am Christ's. Christian staleness sets in when you believe that you have arrived or you forget that you are Christ. Christian staleness, I'll say it one more time. Christian staleness sets in when you believe that you've arrived, I'm perfect, or you forget that you are Christ's. And that I'm fine, I can do whatever I want. We need to remember that Christ purchased me. Remembering that, I'll be more inclined to live my life for him. 1 Corinthians 6, he says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The reasoning why we're glorifying God in our body is because we are not our own. Because Jesus has made us his. We are now Christ. So we need to be living for him. It's not that we have a lot of goals in our life and God is just going to throw in one more goal for us. Our goal is now to be pleasing to him, to glorify God. And as we move to the next point, we need to have this understanding. We need to have this base level knowledge that it's because Christ has paid for us. It's because he has paid the ultimate price. It's because he has made us his own. And I know it wasn't that blinding on the road to Damascus that Paul experienced. He didn't make us all his own in that way, in the blindingness. But what he did is the same thing in our hearts that he did with Paul. Changed our heart so that we have new desires that we may know him and the power of his resurrection. And that causes us to draw us to pursuing Christ-likeness. Because we are Christ's. He mentions in verse 13, he says, But one thing I do. This is to show off how this goal is not just one of many goals. This is the goal for the Christian. This is the direction that you should take. One thing I do, the singular focus. It's like if anybody watched the Preakness yesterday, horse racing, when they put blinders on the horse, they do that to limit the distractions. They don't want the other horses around or the other jockeys or the other, the crowd or anything else to distract the horse from running the race that is set before that horse. We'll have one thing in mind. This is that mentality that he's saying, there are lots of things going on in our life. We have lots of distractions that are out there. But one thing we do, one thing I do, and here's what he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, he's not saying that we are to forget and not remember what was in our past, what lies behind. He just spent the first part of chapter 3 remembering what was in his past, right? Remember in Hebrews 10, 17, God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. God isn't saying that he's truly going to forget as if we're going to stand before God. He's like, what? You sinned? Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. (laughs) That's right. No, he doesn't forget. God knows everything. He understands it. What he's saying is that he's not going to remember our sins in the fact that he's not going to hold that against us when it comes to us in the final judgment because we are Christ. He's going to not going to remember them. So Paul too is saying the same thing. 
He's not going to let his past, forgetting what lies behind, he's not going to let that determine how he acts in the future. It doesn't have a hold on him. We like talking about our past, don't we? A couple weeks ago, Pastor Chris Bronze, when he was here uh, preaching, he was sharing a lot of stories from his past, right, about living in southeast Iowa. I loved it when he was talking about old threshers moving away. I saw the faces. I was in the back row, so I saw the faces, the terror on everybody. Just like, no, it's moving. But then it just turned out to be a joke about people from Missouri. And I didn't get it because I'm not from around here, so I just smiled and nodded. But he, he loved telling stories from, from his past, and... Uh, And that's great to remember things that are in our past. But we need to make sure that they are not dictating how we live in the future. Paul's past, remember, was his past of self-righteousness. About doing what he could do to earn his salvation. Not the righteousness of Christ. Think to some of the things that are in your past that you might be clinging to. Would you say that your past defines how you act and think today? It might seem to make sense because that's kind of our world that we live in. Maybe your past consisted consisted of you getting everything you ever wanted. And so you want to make sure that your kids have the same or make sure your kids don't have everything they want. Or maybe you didn't get everything you wanted. Maybe you grew up in poverty. And so you want to get everything you want now. Or maybe it's the same scenario, but that past is dictating how you're responding in the present. Or more, more seriously... If you didn't have parents who were around in the past when you were a child, maybe that causes you to distance yourself from family. Or maybe it causes you to hold tightly to your family that you have. Maybe there are things that in your past you say, well, this is my, the way my parents disciplined me, and so that's how I'm going to do it. Or maybe the, the phrase that we love, right? We've always done it this way. As if everything in the past was done perfectly. Right? Sometimes we say it that way. Are those, I've always done it this way, it's how I was raised mentality, are those holding you back from becoming like Christ? Because it's possible that things in your past encourage you to become like Christ. And we'll talk about that in a second. But for those things that are, are they holding you in your sin? Are they holding you onto something that was, maybe it's something that was done to you in the past. Maybe something that was said to you in the past that you're just holding on to. Maybe it was even something that you did or something that you said that you're still plagued with and you're stewing in guilt. Maybe you're allowing bitterness or anger towards somebody because of what they said to you so long ago. Ask yourself this question. Does holding on to these past experiences, does it help me to press on, to strain forward toward the goal of becoming like Christ? If the answer is no, abandon that way of thinking. Abandon those pursuits. Abandon that past that is holding you in your sin. Forget that sin that lies behind. Don't let it dominate you. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Our past is not the trump card or the good excuse for the choices we make in the present. We need to understand that. I'll say it again. Our past is not the trump card. It's not that, well, it happened in the past, so it has to be that way in the future. Or the good excuse. Because it happened then, that's a good reason for doing it now. The good excuse for the choices we make in the present. I know it can sound overwhelming to change, especially if we've been living in the past, allowing that to dominate our thinking. 
Just think about maybe one area of your life. Let's just say anger towards somebody who did something wrong to you. Or maybe anger for something you did to somebody else. If you confess that sin, seek forgiveness from that, don't you see how the joy will just fill your life and that it'll spread to a lot of areas in your life? Don't underestimate just one small area, one area of growth and change, how it can affect so many other areas of your life. I'm going to share with you four wisdom principles I came across uh, for dealing with your past. Um, they told me, he told me I could steal it, Nicholas Ellen did. He's my supervisor. Um, so he said I could steal it and share it with you. First, these might be helpful to you. If this is something that's you've been really focused on past things that have happened to you way back when, or maybe even just a week ago, that you're just holding on to. First, you need to seek to overcome past desires in the present. First, in, in order to deal with your past, you have to first desire and seek to overcome what you desired back then. Maybe it was that mentality of this is how I always grew up. I always grew up believing this. I always grew up thinking this. And maybe it's that, that you need to overcome knowing that what God's word says now and how you need to grow in the future. Put those desire, past desires in the past. Don't let them master you today. View God according to his character, not according to your past. You need to understand that God is God. He shouldn't be looked through the lens of what happened to me because every one of us has different experiences, right? We all have a different past. And so that doesn't change who God is. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We should look at who God is from his word. Remember the story back in Genesis of Joseph who was, sold, or who was thrown into a well uh, by his brothers. His brothers didn't like him, so they almost killed him. And then they said, hey, let's make some money off him. Let's not kill him. We'll sell him into slavery instead so we don't have that burden on us. And then they sell him into save slavery. Do you think Joseph had a right to feel a certain way about his brothers? Be like, hmm, I don't like them very much. They were kind of mean to me. Do you think that would, we would understand if Joseph had that mentality toward his brothers? I think all of us would understand that. And then he goes on and he is a slave. And then he gets accused, falsely accused of something, thrown in jail. But then finally he rises to second in command of all of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world. And then guess who comes walking through his doors when he's second in command? His brothers. Ooh, man. If there was ever a time for payback, now's the time, right? He, he could just say, let's put them to death and they would die, right? We are all familiar with this verse. If you're not, you should be familiar with this verse. Joseph says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What a perspective. After all the bad things that his brothers had done to him, he still says, I know who God is. God is working this for good, meant it for good, even though you meant evil. And then he does something that I don't know if many of us would do. Okay, it's in the next verse. I'll share it with you in just a second. But I don't think any of us would go to murder right? I mean, if your brothers and sisters were mean to you, you, if you had the chance, you probably wouldn't go to murder. It's like, okay, let's just kill them and be done with it. We probably wouldn't do that. But he does something more extreme, more uh, amazing and miraculous than I think that we can maybe even do ourselves. He does this. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Isn't that amazing? Man, if somebody does something bad to me, 
Do you think I want to be kind to them? I'm not going to kill them, of course. I'm not going to, I'm not going to murder them. But you think I'm going to speak kindly to them? Or am I going to mutter things under my breath when they walk by? Or am I going to try to avoid them if they were mean to me and did bad things to me? What am I going to do? This is miraculous. This is amazing. This is what a perspective he has viewing God and what he, God wants from him. What's God's goal for his life? And look how he responds. He speaks kindly to them. That's a tough thing to do. Isn't it what God wants us to do? If something was done to you in the past, does God want you to speak kindly? If you did something to somebody, do you, doesn't God want you to go and seek forgiveness? Confess your sin. Right now, sin from past experiences. Where are the areas that you might have sinned? Have you been holding a grudge? Have you been angry? Was it you are the one who did something in the past? Confess that to that person. Go to them. It's a wonderful thing to go to somebody and ask for forgiveness. It's humbling, but it's good, right? There's many times I've had the opportunity to ask for forgiveness, mostly with my wife. <laughs> and isn't it better that I go and ask her for forgiveness than to try, try to avoid it and try to think that it'll just work itself out and then have that tear, that rip in between us with that sin that's there? Isn't it better to go and seek forgiveness and have a much closer relationship now than what we would have had? Doesn't that work the same way with other people in our life? Are there other people we need to go and ask for forgiveness for? Don't you realize when they, you seek forgiveness and they grant forgiveness, the great relationship you can have? You need to confess your sin to the Lord as well. Not just that person. You need to go to God and ask him for forgiveness. And then what we're talking about this morning, pursuing that future prize that higher calling of God. What has God called you to? Forget the sin. Forget what lies behind even some of those past experiences if they're not helping you live for Christ. But if they are, it's possible to look to your past and that actually helps you live for Christ. Right? Isn't that what we see in chapter 3? He looked to his past. This is what I once was. I had more reason to boast. I was a persecutor of the church. I was righteous. I did all these things. Look at me. Look, at, I can go point to. But how does he point to those things in his past? He points to them to show off how much better Jesus is. Right? When he was sharing with the Corinthian believers, he brought up their past, and he brought up how the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he listed a whole bunch of specific sins. Shameful, specific sins. And then he says this to them, and such were some of you. You were these awful things. He is pointing them to their past. He's saying, look at what you once were. But how is he pointing to the past? He's doing it in a way that glorifies God. He said, but look now, you are washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He's saying, yes, you were these bad things. Yes, this bad stuff happened in the past, but look who you are now in Christ. It's looking forward. It's not forgetting and totally annihilating everything that happened in our past, but it's using our past to glorify God. It's not holding us in sin. It's actually helping us to grow in Christ-likeness. If you look down at your text, you see at the end of, um, in, in verse 12, it says, I press on to make it my own. Verse 13, I strain forward to what lies ahead. In verse 14, I press on toward the goal. When you see this repetition so closely together, you need to pay attention. 
when you see this repetition so closely together, you need to pay attention. When you see this repetition so closely, to, you get it. Okay, you get it, right. So it doesn't look like this is going to be easy. Straining to what lies ahead, forgetting what lies behind, this is not going to be easy. You've got to press on, press on, strain forward. It's going to take effort. It's going to take energy. It's going to take perseverance. This is a day after day thing. You guys have heard of LeBron James probably. He's been the best basketball player over the last decade and a half, 15 years or so. And he reportedly spends $1.5 million every year just on his body. The food that he eats, his Navy SEAL trainer, his other coaches that he has, recovery coaches, the food, the chefs, the masseuses, all those things. So there's a lot of time, a lot of money on just his body. And why does he do that? Well, he is number one in minutes played all time in the playoffs. Spent more time playing basketball in the playoffs than anybody else. 17th all time in uh, the regular season. And he's been also three Olympics that he's been a part of. That's a lot of effort. That's a lot of training. That's a lot of minutes spent playing basketball and exerting that much energy. The endurance that he needs, it has to be fueled by the everyday attention to what he eats, how he trains, and all of that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the perseverance, the endurance in your walk with the Lord, it takes training, it takes effort, it takes energy. What you consume from God's word, how you train in the Lord, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to come naturally. It's going to take effort. We're not just godlier just because we're older. We're godlier as we have more minutes spent in the word, as we have more minutes spent trusting Christ, as we have more minutes confessing sin, more minutes pressing on and pressing on. Now, I hope you know that I don't mean that if you just add minutes to the word, that, that makes you godly. Or if you just do this, then you're godly. We're taking that, um, what he had before, of the desires that he has, the desires to know Christ, the desires to love him, and to know him more and more intimately. When those desires are there, you will start spending more time, more minutes in the word. You will start spending this energy and effort to press on. And when you do that with the desires, the right desires that you have to love Christ, then you will become more and more godly. You'll be pursuing this more and more. We have to have a solid focus on what's important. This one thing I do. What are the other goals you have in your life? Is it the same goal that God has for you here? So what is that goal? It's becoming like Christ. Verse 14, that upward call of God, that goal, that's what it is. When we are one day be with Christ, that upward call, when he calls us home, what are we going to be like then? We will be perfect. We will be like him. There will be no more sin. That's what the goal is. But now we're not going to be able to attain that here on earth, are we? We're not going to be able to do that. And that might discourage some of you. Some of you might only like to have goals that you know you will finish at a certain time. But is there any greater pursuit or greater joy in this life for the Christian, for the believer in Christ, than to pursue becoming more like Christ? Is there any higher calling out there? Is there anything better? Pursuing your own glory, is that better than pursuing the glory of God? Tell me how a life lived for yourself will really be worth it when you stand before God. 
Maybe a, tell me how a pursuit of having enough money or being successful in your job will really compare to the eternal riches that are in Christ. Try to convince me how the pursuits of trying to just be a perfect parent, a perfect employee, a perfect student will ever really compare to the pursuit of being a godly student, a godly parent, somebody who loves Jesus. And then we need to hold on to this goal. We need to hold on to it. He says, let us, those of us who are mature, think this way. This word mature is also translated as perfect in other translations that you might have on your lap. But it's the same word in James 1.4 when he says that you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Talking about counting joys, uh, counting trials as a joy. He doesn't mean that we're going to attain perfection right here and now. That's not what he's saying. Because that would be really weird, right? If he says, not that I am perfect, but those of us who are perfect think this way. He's not saying that. He's saying that maturity, so I think that's a better translation there, that maturity that we have in Christ. And so if we are mature, we're going to be thinking this way. It says if you're mature, you're already down this path. Your mind is already set on these things. The mature believer will hear this and say, yes, yeah, that's me. I've been doing that. Thanks for the encouragement to press on, to keep going. The immature believer this should be encouraging. This immature believer, the one who is not thinking this way, says, if in anything you think otherwise, guess what? God will reveal that also to you. So God is going to use this word, maybe to these Philippian Christians who are reading this letter for the first time. Maybe it's the first time they've ever heard of this. And they're like, ah, that's not me. I'm not pressing on. I'm not really pursuing. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. It's like, maybe it should be. As God is revealing that to them through his word, that this is what their one goal should be, we praise the Lord for that. So it's not that every Christian has to be at this point right now. Where are you? Are you in the position today when you hear this and you say, yes, yeah, I've been doing that. I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. Praise the Lord. Or are you one who's sitting here saying, that hasn't been me, but I know it should. Praise the Lord for that. Guess what? When you say that, when you say, this needs to be me, or I need to work on this in my life, or this is definitely an area I need to grow in, or I need to find out a little bit more about this. That's you pressing on. That's you straining towards the goal. As soon as you say in your heart, you know in your heart that's like, this needs to change, that's your beginning stages of pressing on. So praise the Lord for that. You don't have to be all the way down the road. You're not going to be at perfection. Nobody is. Anytime God is using his word to reveal this to us of how we need to grow and change, it is a wonderful thing. Romans chapter 12 and 1 and 2, he says to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to do this very difficult thing, to make our lives all about Christ. But then in verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what, the, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our mind has to be transformed. He says in Philippians 2, we need to have the mind of Christ. This humility of mind, assess ourselves rightly, have the mind of Christ, and hold true to what we've attained. Hold fast to Christ I'll show you one more example from the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 14. Remember the story, uh, or maybe the song, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. One of the two that were good was Caleb, who came back and gave a good report saying, we can take this land because our God is awesome. 
So this is now Joshua 14. It's 45 years later from when he went to spy out the land. He was 40 years old then. Now he's 85. Here's what he says. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. Now, those of you who may be close to 85, closer to that, are you physically stronger now than when you were 40? I think probably not. So we probably understand that what he's talking about, he's strong in the Lord. He is more sure of the Lord now than even when he said our God can handle anything. And he says, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. He's ready for this inheritance. He said, it may be on, that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Imagine this 85-year-old saying, let's drive them out. I'll lead the charge. Let's go because God can take it. He then was given this inheritance and it says the reason why he was given that land. It says because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Even to his last days. Even at the end of his life, when he might have been weaker physically, spiritually, he was stronger. He had to have been pressing on. He had to have been pushing and straining forward to what lies ahead over and over again. Time spent in God's word, time spent in prayer, holding true to what he had attained. He had to keep on and keep on, keep on to have that mentality of saying, I can, let's go. God can take this. He wholly followed the Lord. I know we have story after story of people in here who are still wholly following after the Lord, even in your old age. Now, I'm not going to look at anybody when I say that. Even as you're older, you're wholly following the Lord. You're straining, you're pressing on, and you might be weak. Let me encourage you, keep going. Keep pressing on for the glory of God. Keep pursuing Christ's likeness because you are Christ's. Persist in Christ's likeness because you are his, humbly assess your life, pursue him. At the beginning of the message, I asked you if you knew what the goal was. I'm wondering if you got it right. The more serious question is the goal that was mentioned here in the word. Is that the same goal you have? If yes, praise the Lord. Keep pressing on. If it's no, praise the Lord you recognize that. And keep pressing on. Keep growing in Christ. And if there's something in your past that maybe you're struggling with, something that's it's difficult for you to, to work through, I want to encourage you to come talk to somebody. We can work with you and, and show you from God's word that how the hope in Christ is there. It's for you to encourage you and help you to press on. And I encourage you to speak to somebody about that. Let's pray. Lord, what, what awesome power you have in the gospel. What awesome truth of knowing that you are with us to the end. That as we strain forward and press on, that you are there with us. You give us that strength. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who challenges us and helps us to grow in these areas. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.